There are days that uh, it's easier to get out of bed than others, right? There are certain things that motivate us to start our day or continue our day more than other things. For example, uh, it might be easier for you to get out of bed if you know you're going fishing or shopping that day. Or if you really love your job, another motivation to get out of bed, right? There are all these, there's different ways that motivate us to get out of bed and, and keep us going from day to day. Many incentives to consider. Uh, like I said, you may love your job. You may get out of bed because you have an obligation. You have a sense of obligation. Um, others get out of bed to make a lot of money. Some are stirred by a fresh relationship. You know, that high school kid has met that one and they're, con they're just convinced that this is the one and they can't wait to see them at school. Others are motivated by sunny skies. I mean, who doesn't want to stay in bed when it's raining? Uh, some get out of bed because of an anticipated event. So what is it that stirs you? Can you identify the thing that makes you keep on keeping on and keep going? What is that thing? I'm certain you have an idea. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn in Psalm 119. Look at 111, Psalm 119, verses 111. And I want to show you the motivation of the psalmist to get out of bed, to keep on keeping on, to keep moving in life. Psalm 119, verse 11. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. We ought to know by now that we're in a spiritual battle. You realize that, right, as a Christian? This isn't just a cakewalk on the way to heaven. You get your ticket and then waste some time, and then one day you'll wake up in heaven. No, we are actually engaged in warfare, spiritual warfare. We have an enemy, and the enemy's primary effort is to get you to prefer the world's ways over God and his ways. This, this isn't a secret mission. It's well known to everybody. That is God's effort. That is the enemy's effort against God to make you and I prefer other things in life. He presents the world uh, in very enticing ways. And by the way, these ways aren't necessarily wrong or in and of themselves bad. In fact, most of these enticements are socially acceptable and good things that we would expect one another to do. But the primary strategy of the enemy is to get you to ignore God and his ways and to make your life about these secondary things that are all good and important, but secondary. What I want to encourage you today from this verse is I can show you from the word of God, starting in this wonderful verse, that the attraction of choosing God and his ways are exceedingly preferable to anything that this world may offer. I want to make it so enticing that you determine not to go back to whatever it is that may have been your source of motivation to get out of bed in recent days. So let's get into this verse. Let's, let's um, carve it up and see what we can discover concerning these important things. My first point that I've listed for you in the bulletin is from testimony to heritage. And I want you to notice 
the synonym that the author uses for the word of God in this verse. He says, your testimonies. Do you notice that? This is one of eight or nine synonyms used by this author to identify the word of God. He says precepts, testimonies, word, promise, those things. Here he's using your testimonies as a synonym for the word of God. But why this particular synonym? Why didn't he just say your word is my heritage? He said your testimonies. Now what is a testimony? A testimony in a court setting is a public record made under oath. That's what a testimony is. In a personal testimony, it's a personal accounting of one's life. You get to know a person by hearing their testimony. In Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20, the prophet called the word of God his testimony. He said, to the law and to the testimony. Moses called the Ark of the Covenant, that box that was in the tabernacle, the Ark of his testimony. It says something about God. It gave testimony to who God is, as does this word. It gives testimony to God's person. Jesus himself said this in John 33, whoever received my testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. And so the Bible is God's public record made under oath a statement concerning himself. That's what the Bible is. The author of Psalm 119 verse 111 says, this testimony of God is my heritage and it brings joy to my heart. I want to unpack this a bit. God has given a testimony concerning himself in the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. Everything we know about God came by way of this revelation that we hold in our hands. This self-revelation we could call the autobiography of God is where we discover who God is and what's important to him. What, what is it that, that he desires? What is it that he demands of us, his creatures? We learn in this book, this testimony, uh, that God is not only holy and just, as we reviewed earlier, but he's also loving, good, and kind, as we reviewed earlier. We learn that our sins have relationally separated us from God, our creator, but in his love and grace and mercy, he saves us. How? By coming into our world himself as one of us, to mediate our broken relationship, to reconcile us to himself. And he does this by sacrificing himself in payment for our sins. This is what we discover in his testimony concerning himself. And all these things collectively in the word of God are offered as a heritage to any who will receive it. This is what the author said. Your testimonies are my heritage. I've chosen this as my way, my life. Everything revealed in this book from cover to cover, I think, is the heritage in view in this verse in Psalm 119. The question is, is it your heritage? Is this the way you have chosen? This is where I want to take your mind this morning to consider what is most important to you, what motivates you from day to day, and measure it against what God is asking in this verse. So let's think about choosing a heritage. Think about choosing a heritage. What does it mean to choose a heritage? You usually don't get to choose your heritage. You're either in the will or you're not, right? I mean, that's the way heritages go. But here we are seemingly given a choice. All of us have important decisions to make regarding what our lives will be about 
And we make these decisions daily. The stanza that we're in now is called the noon stanza, the noon stanza, verses 105 to 112. And this is about how God's word gives us guidance in all of life. Look back at one of verse 105. It's here that we see that God's word gives clear direction for our daily choices. It's a lamp to our immediate feet. The, what, the next step it shows direction for. We covered this at length last week. It's also a light that gives you a, a direction, a general direction of where you ought to be heading. That's what this stanza focuses on. It shows you a path that we ought to be on. Are you on that path? That path, by the way, as this verse 111 describes, is the heritage of God. Making much of God, making him your motivation, making all that he's revealed about himself in his testimony the center of your being. The author chose God as his portion, his heritage. Verse 57 of this great psalm we're in says, The Lord is my portion. He's my heritage. I'm going with God on this one. He, that is the author, as do all of God's people, recognize the value of God's testimony, his word. Why does anyone do this? Why would anyone choose this, God's testimony, as their heritage versus what the world might offer, which is significantly more tangible. Why would you do that? Why did Moses do that? Remember, Moses was raised in the court of Egypt. He was an heir of Pharaoh. He had the most powerful, uh, most wealthy options available to him. And he chose God as his heritage. Most people would say that's insane. Why did he do that? Why did the psalmist do that? Why did Jesus do that? Jesus obviously made much of God, made much of his word. It was his heritage. In the wilderness temptation, Jesus demonstrated his esteem for God, his esteem for his word. In fact, in his first sermon, he preached these words, Matthew 6, 33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That ought to be first on your agenda. Make God and his word your agenda, your history, I mean your heritage. And then all these things will be added. How do we do that? The psalmist's choice of making God his heritage implies four important things. I want to I relate these uh, implications to you so that you can understand a little bit more what the author is asking of us or recommending to us. The first implication of the psalmist's choice in verse 111 is that it's the best choice. He, being a man of God, being a follower, a believer, being one whose life is, is uh, steeped in God's word, chooses this to be his heritage. God's word, your testimonies, and everything associated with it. This is the idea behind verse 11, 111 rather. So based on how you live your life, based on your priorities, if, if someone could examine you without you opening your mouth, what would they determine was your heritage? What would they determine would be your motivation for getting up today and tomorrow and the next day? What, what keeps you going? If they could look at your life, what would they determine? Is your heritage God? Is, does it reflect the same passions and interests that the psalmist does here in verse 111? 
What is it that, that motivates you? Many of us, have, as I said earlier, are motivated by possessions, by our jobs, by our homes, by our children, by our vocations, hobbies, leisures. All these things seem to squeeze out the heritage of God. And the interesting thing is none of those things are bad. <laughs> right? Would anybody say it's not good to take care of your family or to work hard at your place of employment or to enjoy leisure? No, all these things are God's gifts. So they're not bad. And yet the psalmist here is suggesting a different route. He's saying there's a better choice. Secondly, his choice implies the importance of keeping the word of God our top priority or, or keeping God as our heritage our top priority. When you go and claim something to be your center, your heritage, or your joy, that's no small claim. To stand up and publicly say, this is what I'm about, is no small issue. To claim God and his word as your center and your heritage, it's, that's not the norm. That's not what people are doing today, at least not outside the church. We naturally prioritize our jobs, money, children, leisure. And if there's time left over, then I might pick up the Bible. But choosing God as my heritage is a different matter. The idea of heritage implies something far greater than occasional interest. Because of our sinful nature, we tend to be self-centered, certainly not God-centered. The fact that the psalmist claimed this particular heritage is, gives us reason, or at least pause, to think it's very important. Again, how can we do this? Little old me. I'm not Moses. <laughs> I'm not the psalmist. Here's where I want you to focus with me if you can. Because here's where I'm going to tell you the third implication which is dead center of the gospel, dead center of what it means to know Christ and to make God and his word your heritage. So stick with me. This choice that we see in, in verse 11, choosing God's word and God himself as my heritage implies a relationship to God as his children. Why should we choose such a heritage? This heritage, this relationship with God, our creator, does not come by way of our merit. We, we do not make this choice because we're more spiritual to, than the next guy. Why do you do it then, if you do? It is ours for only one reason. It is ours because we are children of God. We are heirs. We heard this morning in Romans chapter 8 that we are heirs of of God with Christ. Listen, I'll read it for you again. 8.15 of Romans. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons whom cry, Abba, Father. And then verse 17. And if you're children, then heirs and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. The reason you can make God your heritage, his testimony your heritage, is because you are his children. And we're the only ones who will and can do that. Our spiritual heritage was purchased for us before we took one breath. 
We have the right and the title of co-heirs. We have the title of sons. It says in John 1, 12, Jesus speaking, but to all who did receive him, or this might be John speaking of Jesus, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, God gave the right to become children of God. We have the right. Why do we choose this? Because we are his children. We affirm this right by believing in his name. If you've believed in his name, you have stated that you want God and his testimonies as your heritage. Whether or not you'll live that way is something we'll get to in a minute. But that's the third implication, that we are God's children. Because only children of God can do this. Fourthly, our heritage will sustain us. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean that our heritage, this relationship with God, this embracing of God and his testimony, is the thing that motivates us to get out of bed. The question I began with. How does the heritage of God keep us going, motivate us for life? Claiming God and the promises in his word as your heritage gives an eternal and infinite motivation for living. When other things fail to do the trick, when it's rainy or you have a bad job or poor health, when all that stuff makes it difficult to be motivated and get on with it, this particular fact that God is our heritage does the trick. It actually motivates us when all, everything else fails. Think of all that's in view when I say the heritage of God. You were chosen before time began by a loving God who created you. And he chose you to be in relationship with him. There's nothing that can happen today. Once you've gotten out of bed, there's nothing that can happen today that's going to interrupt God's love for you. What a wonderful heritage. There is nothing or anything in any way that will cause God to lose interest in your well-being today. He planned long ago that you should know him and represent him to a dying world that desperately needs him. You know why you should get out of bed today? Because you have a job, and that is to represent God to all your neighbors and friends and co-workers, to the world God has promised to fill you with purpose, joy, peace, and hope as you follow him, as you've made him your heritage. He has promised to be with you, to live in you, to give you wisdom for daily choices. You get out of bed every day because God has planned an exciting day for you. You're going to get up and see, for, if for no other reason, what's, good, what's God going to do today? How is he going to use me? How is he going to conform me to his will? How is he going to confirm to me his love and bless me and others through me? How is he going to do it today? This is what it means to take God as your heritage. <clears throat> now, if you haven't already established enough rationale in your mind for this choice, I want to give you some now. What is the rationale for this kind of a life-altering choice? Well, before we get to the specific rationale for claiming God's word as our heritage or God himself as our heritage, I want to look at this a little more closely, the, the idea of a heritage. I think it'll uh, 
help you clearly understand uh, why you might be motivated to do something so countercultural, to make a choice so life-altering as what I'm suggesting. So what is this heritage that is so, supposed to be so special? First is this. It's a full heritage. Nothing can be added to this heritage. It's so full. Since God and his word cannot be separated, what we are saying when, or what the author is saying when he says your testimonies are my heritage is he's saying you are my heritage. There is no distinction between God and his word. So when you say God's word or his testimonies are my heritage, you're saying God is my heritage. Nothing can be added to God, so it's a full heritage. With God comes everything that flows from him. Think with me. Heaven earth, protection, promises, fellowship in the church, and on and on we go. Come from the hand of God, your loving provider. Paul said to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 3, so let no one boast of men. Don't, don't be boasting in, in that path, that heritage. Let's try boasting in something else. What is it? For all things are ours. Whether Paul, Apollos, or Cephas, all the great teachers in the church, or the world, all that there is offered to us in this world as gifts from God, or life, or death, or present, or future, is there anything else are yours, he says. <laughs> and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Friends, listen, consider the righteousness of Christ is ours. Friendship with God is ours. Fellowship with his people is ours. Heaven is ours. And on and on it goes in scripture. It is ours. Others may claim that their heritage is their kingdom, their own kingdom. The kingdom that, they, that they've created with their efforts to build their wealth or reputation or influence what a measly choice. We say that our heritage is God. He is our portion. We will take Christ and all that he is and all that he offers. Those of us who know Christ and his promises really don't think too much of the competition. I'm not saying we're not tempted. I think we're tempted like anybody else by shiny things. But it doesn't take long for us to sniff out the value, does it? It's a full heritage. Next, it's a sure heritage. World history is littered with stories of lost fortunes, misused inheritance. We could probably rattle off two or three stories from the top of our heads of people we've known who've blown inheritances or blown fortunes of some degree or another. But this heritage, found in the testimony of God, that God grants us in, in and by faith is the safest thing in the universe. And by the way, if you're going to have an inheritance, you ought to prefer a safe one, not one that's going to disappear if the stock market goes down or if you're not your favorite son of your father. This heritage is sure. Listen to how God promises this heritage to us. 
in Isaiah. And by the way, he does it almost in every single book of the Bible. But here's one that you might be familiar with. Isaiah 46, God says this, Remember the former things? For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times to things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand. I will accomplish my purpose. I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. That sounds pretty sure to me. If God is who he claims to be, we have a sure heritage. What, what is his purpose? He says he's going to accomplish his purpose. He's going to do his counsel. My counsel will stand. I will accomplish my purpose. What, what are those things? Well, in your understanding of Scripture, what do you think is the primary motivation of God? It's his own glory, isn't it? The glory of Jesus Christ is what he's after, is his purpose, is the ultimate end of his own counsel. It's the glory of his son, Jesus Christ. And how does that glory happen? <clears throat> he is in himself glorious, of course, we know that. It caused John the Apostle to fall on his face before him in Revelation. He saw the glorious Christ. But that's not the most glorious thing. His inherent glory, as glorious as it is, it's not the most glorious thing, according to God himself. You know what God says is the most glorious thing about Jesus? He redeems undeserving people. <laughs> wow. That is what's most glorious. God's plan of forgiving and befriending sinful people is what he will accomplish God saving the souls of undeserving people is what he will accomplish and is what is most glorious to him. This whole plan of redeeming his people is laid out step by step in the Bible. It is our heritage and it is sure. And it is what is most precious to us who know him. Is there anything more encouraging, hopeful, motivating the knowing that our God and Creator loves us to the point of dying for us to reconcile ourselves to Him and forgiving all of our sins and inviting us to come into His family free of charge. Jesus spoke of this in John 6. <clears throat> he says, 37 and 39, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on that last day. That's what brings glory to Christ. The Father gives him these needy, unredeemed group of people, which Jesus himself redeems and saves their soul, and this brings eternal and infinite glory to himself. He said this as much in John 10, 28. I give them, that is you and me who he's redeemed, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. It is a sure heritage. You may say, well, I don't doubt God's ability, Pastor John, to keep his promises. I doubt my ability to follow through. He's not the problem. I'm the problem. Most of us would say, yeah, that's, that's my bigger concern. Well, let me say this, dear weak friend. God not only will fulfill his half of the bargain, but he'll make sure to do the same for you. He will fulfill, he will accomplish your half. 
you're along for the ride. You remember how involved Abraham was in the covenant with God? How involved was Abraham that day in the covenant making with God? He was unconscious. He was asleep, literally. That's about how involved you are in this whole thing. It's not about, it's exactly how involved you are. Friends, we're sleeping through the process and God is fulfilling his covenant, his side and our side. It's a sure covenant. In fact, Hebrews, the author of Hebrews calls it an eternal covenant. It's so sure. Bringing Jesus glory is God's purpose. He said he will accomplish it. He gets glory when he meets our needs, when he forgives our sins, when he saves our souls. Let me read for you a verse out of the Psalms, no less, that affirm this. God said, call upon me in the day of trouble. Have you ever lived a day when there's not trouble in your life? Okay, so that's every day. Call upon me every day and I will deliver you. And here's what happens. You glorify me. God gets glory from helping people who don't deserve it. If it were up to us, certainly we'd, we would abuse the inheritance, wouldn't we? See, we would. But God is the one who holds our lot. Jesus himself is the guardian of our heritage. He has promised and he will do it. This is not an uncommon statement in the New Testament or old that God does these things. 1 Thessalonians 5.24, he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. There's no question the certainty of this heritage. So it's full, it's sure, and lastly it's eternal. It's never going to wear out. Verse 111 here even says so. Your testimonies are my heritage forever. He says, and that doesn't mean this guy's so spiritually strong, he's going to hold on forever, man. Nothing's going to get, no, he's, he's directing it all towards God. The forever aspect is just like every other aspect of this heritage. It's from God. It lasts forever. It lasts through all things. It's durable. Every single other inheritance known to man only lasts in until you die, right? When you die, it's over. That heritage is gone. After death, the inheritance is no longer yours. Not so with this heritage. It's forever. It, it works past death and into the next life. Worldly portions crumble, waste away, but not this heritage, not this heritage of God. Psalm 73 Verse 26, my flesh and my heart may fail. He got that wrong. It, it will fail. <clears throat> my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever, period, forever. So now, back to the reasons we ought to choose this, if you're not convinced yet. I don't need to say these things, but for the sheer joy of saying them, I'm going to. All right? Your joy and mine. What's the first reason for this choice of this heritage listed right here in the text? Second line of this verse. Why does he choose 
God as his heritage brings joy to the heart. He's over, overwhelmed with joy. That's what he says in verse 111. Everyone wants to be happy. This is not a surprise. God created us this way. I think this is the primary pursuit of every human being who's ever lived. They want to be happy. Everything they do is to be happy. This is the case no matter what the choice. Even when people try to hurt themselves, they're trying to be happy. This is why Jesus began his earthly ministry with the sermon that began with the Beatitudes. You remember Pastor Rick teaching on these things. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are so forth and so on. And we know that that word means what? Blessed means happy. Happy are those. It's broader than that idea of happiness, but it certainly includes the idea of happiness. This heritage of God is intended to fulfill our pursuit of happiness. This is, this is one thing that God intends for us to do, to pursue more and more joy and more and more happiness. C.S. Lewis says we stop short of actually where God wants us to go in this pursuit of happiness. John Piper says this is why we were created, to pursue with all of our might this, this passion to be happy and to find that happiness not in the things that the world may offer. They bring some level of happiness, don't they? I enjoy fishing. I enjoy my children. Not in that order necessarily, but sometimes. I enjoy these things. I'm supposed to enjoy them, but they're not supposed to be ends in themselves. They're supposed to draw me to the joy giver, the creator of joy. God doesn't intend for fishing or shopping or children or employment to fulfill your eternal desire for joy. He's designed it to lead you to the joy maker. God himself. If you don't recall, because it's been too long... This chapter begins with this encouragement to pursue happiness. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. It's, it's an enticement to pursue that joy that God wants you to pursue, that you want to pursue. <clears throat> These things draw us to himself. Those of you who are into the catechisms can answer this question. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. To glorify God and enjoy him ever. John Piper in his first book, Desiring God, turned that on its head. And that little uh, linguistic trick changed the way I thought about God. To what, what Piper did in his book, Desiring God. He said, this is true. The, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And he says, but this is how you do it. You glorify God by enjoying him forever. That's how you glorify God, is you actually enjoy him. 
You make him the pursuit of your soul, the love of your life, the thing that gets you out of bed, the thing that keeps you motivated for living. He is a joy to your heart. Everything about him, his testimonies, his person, his promises. We are to enjoy him forever, and that glorifies God. Let me read you some very familiar verses from Romans that might motivate a little bit of joy here this morning. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. <laughs> How's that? You who struggle to think of God as a friend, you know you have peace with him if you're in Christ Jesus. This one is another one that we like to hear. We've already heard it this morning. There is therefore now no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ. So those of you who, are, who tend to wallow around in guilt and, and you know, play the part of Eeyore, uh, you actually don't have to live life condemned because there is no condemnation if you're in Christ Jesus. He took that for you on Calvary. That's a joy-inducing thought. So what's the rationale? for making God your heritage and the things of God your heritage, joy. It fits nicely into what we want to pursue. Secondly, faith, 2A, faith. <clears throat> With the gift of faith comes spiritual vision. Spiritual vision, you ought to write out, to, if you're taking notes, to the right of that point. 2A, faith-spiritual vision. We, we see things differently now, don't we, than before we knew Christ, before we were a child of God? We, we see things differently. This is a benefit of having the Holy Spirit's presence in us. It says this in 1 Corinthians 2.14. The natural person, that is the person without the Spirit, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God because they are folly to him and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. They can't see them. They don't understand why you would choose God as your heritage and turn your back on the world. They don't understand Moses at all. He had to have been insane. They don't see it. <laughs> Human reason and wisdom would have us pursue material things. Human reason pushes us to make the focus of our lives about getting more and keeping it. When anyone in the world prioritizes material things and builds their lives around what they can keep or get, it makes complete sense. It is not difficult to understand at all why a person who doesn't have the Holy Spirit, who doesn't have spiritual vision, sees things that really attract their soul that shouldn't attract the Christian soul. It makes total sense. They have a limited understanding. There is nothing else but faith brings spiritual vision. Through faith, God grants us a clear view of what is truly important, what is more valuable. To be, this is a nice <clears throat> next rationale, and you'll know why it's be, because it's the same word, faith. Faith, except the focus being on spiritual taste buds instead of spiritual vision, so if you're taking notes out to the right of to be faith, you would write spiritual taste buds. 
as we grow in faith and consistency in our walk with God and making God our portion, our taste buds develop. We begin to prefer those things as we walk with God that are commensurate with a new heart. We actually prefer the fellowship of the saints. We prefer time in his word. We prefer thinking on Christ. We prefer serving him and sacrificing for him than what the world would prefer. Why? Because you have new taste buds. <laughs> this tastes better than that. We are no longer satisfied with what satisfies the world. That stuff tastes good to them. It doesn't taste good to us anymore. Again, I'm not saying we're not tempted. But the healthier you live, the less attractive licorice is. You realize that? Have you got to that point yet in healthy, healthy living? The, the more you live a healthy lifestyle, the less licorice tastes good, Tim. I'm telling you. He's a, he's a licorice addict. <laughs> I like it too, by the way. But you get my point here. The more that you walk with Christ, the more your taste buds develop. And you begin to lose all interest in all that cheap substitutes that lose their attraction very quickly. Hey friends, everyone pursues something. Everyone has a built-in desire to have purpose, fulfillment. The question is, what is it going to be? The things of this world will not bring the satisfaction we seek if indeed we possess the Spirit of God, if we are His children. I think this can be used as a test of spiritual maturity. What are your inmost desires? What do you truly desire? The more you desire the things of this world, and I'm not saying bad things, again, sometimes when I say things of the world, they immediately think negative. It's not negative. It's good things that I've already described. Your job, your leisure, your family, all good things. You should like those things. The question is, do you like God or pursue God or choose God above all that? Or are you so consumed with these good things that you neglect God as your heritage? I think the more spiritually mature you become, the more spiritually um, mature your taste buds become, you'll be satisfied only and eventually with God. Colossians 3, 2, 3, 1 and 2 rather, if you have been raised with Christ, if in fact you have the Spirit of God in you, this is what you, we should do. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand. Of, set your minds on things above, not the things on the earth. Paul didn't say they were bad things. He said there were things on the earth. But we ought to send our, set our minds on things above, things on Christ. Psalm 4, 7, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wines abound. The best thing that the world can possibly offer, grain and wine in abundance. There's more joy in my heart without those things when I'm with Christ. When, when God is my heritage and I'm practicing that heritage, the world can have grain and wine in abundance. I have joy. 
Let me conclude with some application questions. <clears throat> What's satisfying you in this life? What is it that's satisfying you? What are you pursuing? Are those things filling your heart with joy, complete joy and satisfaction? Assuming that your worldly affections aren't satisfying, have they motivated you, those dissatisfactions? Have they motivated you to put your life in God's hands, to put in with Christ, his heritage? Do you realize that one very important part of being a Christian is to nurture and build up your interest in God's heritage? You know, that's part of what it means to be a Christian, to nurture this, this affection for Christ, for God. How do you do that? Well, you remember the story of Mary and Martha in John 11, right? Remember that story? Martha was doing a bunch of good stuff, man. We would have been impressed. She was cleaning the house and cooking a meal at the same time, probably chasing kids around, getting things in order, <clears throat> being a super mom. And her sister was being lazy. And so Martha goes to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, I'm really doing a good job here today. I'm working hard. You can see I got the meal done. I'm ready for you. It's, I've been working hard. The only thing is my sister hasn't been helping. Could you, could you encourage her to do the right thing? And Jesus blows Martha's mind and everybody's mind who first reads John 11, Right? especially those of you who think that working is better than, than being. What did Jesus say to Martha? Martha, Martha. Like, Martha, Mary's chosen the better thing. <laughs> the better thing, obviously, in Jesus' mind, is walking with Christ, sitting at his feet, Embracing the heritage of God, not doing all the good things that Martha was doing. She was doing great things, things that needed to be done, things that if she hadn't done, people would be upset. And yet Jesus said, this is the better thing. She has chosen the better thing. So, What have you chosen? What is your motivation for living? Are you consumed with making preparations for important things, good things? Life, finances, retirement, hobbies, vacations, leisure, family? All good things, all necessary things. But never to the neglect of God and his heritage. We're going to sing a song together here as we close. <clears throat> Some wonderful words to this song. Let me just read for you the chorus and I think the second stanza. Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Hallelujah, Jesus is my life. <clears throat> now, Lord, I would be yours alone and live so that all might see. The strength to follow your commands could never come from me. Oh, Father, use my ransom life in any way you choose, and let my song forever be my only boast is you.
want you to think about those words as you're singing them today as we close our service. Let's pray. Father, we are in desperate need of the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit who draws us to himself, who fulfills our deepest desires, who causes us to choose the heritage of God. Father, we are dependent on him, your spirit, to be active in our hearts. We're so thankful that your son, our savior, made this all possible with his life and death and resurrection. Father, we are going to be and are eternally thankful. We want to glorify our Savior Jesus Christ. We want to lift your name high because of all that you have done for us. We want to embrace this heritage. We want it to be our own, and we want to share it with those around us. God, in your mercy, do this in us. Do this through us. Amen.